Historias, the Spanish History Podcast. I'm your host, Foster Chamberlain. Today I'm joined by Florencia Peru, a professor of modern history at the Universidad Autónoma de Madrid. We're going to discuss the political culture of Democrats in mid-19th century Spain. So Florencia, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Foster. Hello, everyone. It's really great to be here. Okay, so I thought to begin, could you tell us a bit about when did Democrats first emerge on the political scene in Spain and why did they do so? They began to organize around 1840. They were mainly journalists, doctors and lawyers, a group of liberals who first supported the first the Constitution of 1812 but experienced a radicalization of their political principles during the 30s. This process of radicalization resulted from the influence, of course, of the French Revolution and the European Democratic, Republican and Socialist discourses and movements. But my point is that Spanish political dynamics were also crucial. In, in particular, the years from 1830 were especially important because it was the time when most Spanish liberals abandoned the original principles of Spanish liberalism, as for example a white franchise or national sovereignty, and adopted those of the French doctrinaire. In particular, the idea that sovereignty might be shared between the king and the Cortes, the National Assembly, and that the franchise should be subject to a property qualification. In this context, a group of liberals continued identifying liberty with the political participation of the people and started to support universal male suffrage. From 1835, moreover, some of them became aware of the support the crown was giving to conservative sectors and this gradually led them to support a republic. The crown for them could not guarantee anymore a truly free political order. Can you tell us a little bit more about what democracy meant for these new Democrats of the 1840s? Yes, democracy meant a government of the people and by the people, that is, in general lines, popular sovereignty. This implied a large extension of political rights, in particular, the granting of universal male suffrage. But democracy meant participation in politics, but also social inclusion, equality before the law, and freedom. Freedom understood as autonomy. These first Democrats believed that census, or as they said, the monopoly of political rights, provoked social division and thus social conflict. Democracy, on the contrary, the generalization of political rights would produce harmony and unity. This would not imply material equality and it will not exclude differences resulting from diverse degrees of merit, talent or physical condition. The goal was not to suppress natural inequalities among men but to eradicate legal inequality, inequality sanctioned by institutions. Political rights then not only unified men, but also guaranteed their autonomy. 
as involvement in public affairs made possible the emancipation of the will. As they put it, when all individuals obtained the right to intervene in legislation, they came to be in possession of themselves, their faculties, their rights, their whole personality. Democracy meant frequently some kind of direct, immediate forms of exercising power in these first moments, in, this, in the years, in the uh, 1840s. Although the ideas of Democrats on the subject differ, they usually demanded the popular vote of all the legislation produced by those elected by universal suffrage, considered in turn as delegates or trustees and subject at all times to the elector's will. They also defended federalism, federalism as a way of realizing their ideal of active and participating citizens in a large state. The federal structure, as Tocqueville had put it, would establish centers of power close to an electorate who would be well-informed and capable of intervening and playing an influential role in public affairs. Who was included and also excluded from this conception of democracy? They included working urban and rural men who contributed to national prosperity. To be more precise, they were thinking about workers who were also head of families. The ability to support a family was considered as a basis for independence. But husbands and fathers ought to be sober and respectable citizens. Their insistence on this condition was a way of limiting access to citizenship to virtuous, decent and stable workers and excluding the poorest and ruthless social sectors, which they identified with uh, vice and degradation. Of course, women were also excluded from the franchise as Democrats accepted the prevailing discourse of uh, domesticity, which confined women to the household sphere. Uh, however, they charge women with the task of educating children with the aim of, of forming honest men and good citizens willing to fight for freedom and the nation. And this required women to know the principles of democracy. And from this angle, women were not totally excluded from the public sphere, although effecti effectively uh, separated from the political scene, they were linked to it by the responsibility for the formation of future Democrats. From this perspective, they could be considered as citizens without political rights. How did these early Spanish Democrats seek to advertise these ideas they were developing uh, about democracy and seek to gain power? Well, they tried to advertise their, their ideas above all through the press. They also arranged reading, educative and secret societies to organize their, their constituencies. As to power, in, sp in spite of the insistence on political participation, the main form of taking power was a revolution. This came from the electoral corruption and the repressive pol policies, exclusivism and sectarianism adopted by Spanish liberal governments during that period. But um, also 
from the fact that Spanish Democrats understood the ballot more as a symbol of legitimacy, social inclusion and membership in a homogeneous community than as a tool of political change. Suffrage was not conceived as an instrument allowing choice among different ways of conceiving the political and social order. In fact, Democrats did not recognize the existence of many political uh, conceptions. Most Democrats only acknowledged the existence of two social political projects, that of freedom, emancipation, truth and good, and that of absolutism, slavery, error and evil. The people conceived as a homogeneous whole naturally supported, supported the project of freedom, which they advocated themselves. All those who did not defend this project were considered as enemies or strangers excluded from the nation who had to be eliminated. So was there also any international influence that came to play on these Democrats' thinking as well? Yes, well, uh, there was an extraordinary circulation of ideas and speeches mm -hmm. at this time. And of course, Spanish Democrats were aware of foreign democratic ideas, strategies and projects, as well as events. They knew what happened abroad. They used to adopt and adapt what they thought useful. And in their text, we can see an, an enormous amount of quotings uh, from foreign writers and publicists like Proudhon, Mazzini, Kossuth, uh, Fourier. But they didn't take these activists or publicists' ideas as a whole. Uh, they took uh, the ideas that they thought they were interesting and they composed their own vision of uh, democracy and strategies and what they wanted for, for their country. Okay, well, um, I think that gives us a good general idea of who these Democrats were. So we'll take a short pause and then we'll look at how these Democrats acted when they actually were able to be in a position of power and change over the course of the mid-19th century. To the program. So in this second half, we're going to be looking at the mid-19th century and how the Democrats kind of changed some of their ideas as they had some experience with actually uh, being in power in this period. So first of all, as we move now into the 1850s, were there any changes in the way Spanish Democrats thought about democracy? Yes, there were. Popular sovereignty that they used to defend was gradually replaced by the defense of individual sovereignty. 
As I have already said, uh, democracy was first defined as popular sovereignty. It was believed that the involvement of all in public affairs would result in the establishment of a community of free and independent men. Little by little, however, autonomy became independent from participation, as we could say, since the latter, as Tocqueville had pointed out, could produce the tyranny of society over the individual. Democrats started to fear the oppression of majorities and the, per the perverse effects that universal suffrage might have on freedom and individual rights. The fact that both moderate and progressive governments implemented restrictions on individual rights in the name of national sovereignty embodied in the parliament also influenced uh, this democratic shift. But also foreign events as Bonaparte's successful plebiscites on the 1852 constitution conferring on him the dictatorial powers and the restoration of the empire uh, in France contributed to the reformulation of Spanish democratic discourse. Democracy came to be defined as the guarantee of the sovereignty that man possesses from birth over himself and became associated with a series of natural and inalienable rights which needed to be secured. There were also some divisions uh, and differences among Democrats in this period as well. So what were some of those divisions? As elsewhere in Europe, Spanish Democrats uh, were divided by strategic as well as by doctrinal issues. The first one referred mainly to the best way of organizing the party and to the best moment to start a revolution. The second, the doctrinal issues, dealt on the one hand with the ideal form of government. Some groups championed the republic, while others accepted a truly constitutional limited monarchy. And on the other hand, with social and economic issues, while some radicals, as did many liberals, trusted social self-regulation and condemned any, gov any government in interference in the socio-economic uh, realm, others defended state intervention, for example, by promoting low interest, uh, interest loans, which allowed workers to set up cooperatives, and or by organizing public works to boost employment. Finally, uh, other activists uh, advocated communism. Okay, so you, you mentioned uh, communism. Was there influence from socialism in the Democrats' thinking as well? Of course. Most of them accepted socialist ideas by the 40s, such as the cooperatives or public works I already mentioned. They trusted diverse projects to achieve some kind of material independence and intellectual autonomy. From the 50s, many Democrats abandoned these socialist ideas, and this provoked bitter controversies. Why they abandoned socialist ideas? Uh, Democrats' emphasis on individual sovereignty made most of them increasingly supportive of a state with minimal powers, allowing plenty of space for individual initiative. 
Theories such as these were obviously incompatible with previous formulations in which it, it had been proposed that the state should intervene to a certain extent in order to implement social reforms, in order to guarantee the material independence of underprivileged groups. The concept of socialism became increasingly associated with the omnipotence of the state at the expense of the individual, in their words, the tyrannical regulation of a man's life, and was obviously fiercely rejected. Another factor that contributed to this reaction was the growing influence of Bastiat and the French liberal school of laissez-faire among democratic groups, especially after the publication in 1860 of the debate between Bastiat and Proudhon, translated as Capital y Renta, Capital and Rent, by a Spanish Democrat named Roberto Robert. As it is well known, this school affirmed the existence of a natural harmony among economic interests when left completely alone. Uh, this school also defended the free market and rejected any kind of statist policies. Finally, the 1848 French Revolution also had to do with the gradual disaffection of many Democrats with socialism, as they thought, as Mazzini did, that socialism was responsible for their failure of the second, the French Second Republic. As we're uh, moving forward a bit in time here, we come to the turbulent Sexenio Revolucionario period from 1868 to 1874. So what kind of power did Democrats manage to gain uh, in that period and how did they do so? Okay, in 1868, there was a revolution that overthrew the throne of Isabella II. This uh, revolution inaugurated a six-year period during which the reins of the states were handed over to more advanced liberals who issued a declaration of rights, including freedom of speech, the press, association, assembly, religion and education, as well as the inviolability of home and correspondence and universal male, of course, suffrage. During these years, Democrats, most of them now Republicans, remained intensely active and gained influence among the popular classes. In 1868, the previous Democratic Party became the Federal Republican Party. In Madrid alone, they published around 70 newspapers and organized a lot of clubs and associations. Furthermore, they obtained between 85 in 1869 and 52 in 1871 and 72 members of parliament in national elections and won municipal elections in a lot of, of, of towns and cities. So uh, the growth is, is really evident. The internal organization of the party was based on a federal assembly formed of three representatives from each province, which made decisions on tactics and doctrine, a board of directors with ex executive uh, functions, and a wide network, and this is really interesting, a wide network of provincial and local committees 
We could say then that they managed to gain institutional power in this moment. And this process culminated with the proclamation of the First Republic. As we know, the First Republic in Spain in 1873 was due to the king's abdication, provoked by uh, an extreme political instability in mm -hmm. Spain which included even a failed uh, assassination attempt against, uh, against the, ki the king. Anyway, the First Republic lasted very little, just 11 months. And during that, that time, well, the they Republicans tried to draft a federal constitution, but their capability of action was really restricted because there was a really high political instability First, republicanism was deeply divided between several factions. Well, they had four governments, four different governments uh, during these 11 years. And the, months. Uh, yes. <laughs> and they had to, to, to face three armed conflicts, as, as, as everyone known, a civil war against the Carlists, a federalist, anti-centralist insurrection, cantonalism, and the first Cuban War of Independence, which started, in fact, in 1868. They had to face also the hostility of rival parties, which was reflected in, in, in non-cooperation and in some cases even active conspiracy. This period has been described uh, as a, a catalogue of error and, and errors and chaos, <laughs> and it ended when General Pavia uh, led a military coup to overthrow the regime. You mentioned that many of these Democrats are now being thought of as Republicans. So what was the relationship between these ideals of democracy and Republicanism in this period? Well, during this period, most Democrats had come to think that Republic was the necessary form of democracy, mm -hmm. which not, was not thought like this before by every one of them. The historical political dynamics in Spain uh, led them to consider that monarchy was uh, an unfair institution which existed only to preserve some privileges and that was completely incompatible with equal rights and freedom. So you also mentioned that there were quite a few divisions uh, even within these Democrats or Republicans uh, in this period. So what were some of these problems and divisions? As before, they were divided around a wide range of doctrinal and strategic issues like revolution, federalism, organization, socialism. The issues, they were normal. There were a, a, a huge amount of people thinking together about the form of government, plural, I think, conflict, Controversies are completely normal in mm -hmm. every political group or association. The problem here is that they had not, they were not able to establish good mechanisms to manage these divergences. I think that's one of the main problems that they had and they will keep having in the future. How did the experience of this sexennial revolutionario change? Democrats thinking after they had so many problems during this period? Well, this experience was crucial to promoting the emergence of new forms of democracy among um, some Republican groups. 
And I'm, I am going to focus on the most important ones, just two of them. On the one hand, the frequent popular riots uh, that exploded during the whole period, in fact, from 1868, in fact, mm-hmm. in, uh, November, December 68, there are, there are already some a lot of riots. Uh, these riots that culminated on the so-called cantonal revolution I have just mentioned in 1873, in which uh, some federal republicans in towns in Andalusia, Valencia, Castilla and Murcia proclaimed independent cantons with the goal of establishing a free federation from the bottom up and of accelerating reforms. I have to say here that direct forms of democracy that I mentioned before had a lot to do with this need to obtain this direct democracy through federalism Mm -hmm. uh, very quickly uh, when the first republic uh, was established. There was like a nudge of a lot of people to, well, now we can have our government. And I think it it had a lot to do with it. They are are linked one thing to the other. Well, all these, uh, all these revolts or this uh, violence alienated many groups uh, from federalism, of course, and from any kind of direct democracy, allowing autonomous political action by the people. This is one, one, one of the first things. They started actively defending a regime capable of avoiding all kinds of dangers coming from above or from below. Uh, dangers for freedom, Uh, I mean, and to champion the guidance of the people by enlightened minds. Some Democrats then now began to focus on the need for a certain distance between the people and politics, that is, the creation of a system that would be truly representative, based on universal male suffrage, but, but one in which decisions would be made in Parliament on the basis of debate and discussion. This doesn't mean that some Republicans kept maintaining previous visions. At the same time, and this is uh, the, uh, the second uh, change, participating in government in 1873 provoked some early reflections on the exclusivism which characterized Spanish politics, preventing the foundation of a solid, stable, and permanent regime. Some groups, and I'm talking mainly about centralists, possibilists, Emilio Castelar, Azcárate, uh, Salmerón, uh, started to condemn the vision of different political options as armies at war, each aspiring to seize power by force. They now actively defended an institutional and legal political practice as well as the replacement of revolution by reform. They started to display a more tolerant and pluralistic vision of politics and to consider that political parties and all manifestations of diverse interest, which contended in the public sphere, were legitimate and even necessary and should aspire to to gain majority support by free discussion. Uh, by spreading of their ideas in the press and by the exercise of liberties of assembly and, and association. 
I, I have already said that certain groups, uh, such as PMR girls federals or progressive, Ruiz Zorrilla's progressives, remained tied to this culture of riot, uh, and direct democracy, but the deep theoretical and organizational transformation transformation in the democratic universe uh, began, which increasingly displaced previous conspirat conspiratorial practices and replaced them by attitudes closer to those of what we consider now modern democracy based on pluralism, the representative principle, parliamentarism, and the defense of legality and institutions. So if we start to see this shift from thinking about direct democracy to a more institutionalized representative uh, democracy, does this change in thinking as a result of the experience Democrats had in the mid-19th century did that have longer implications on the course of Spanish history? Well, they, they indeed make part of Spanish history of democratization. They indeed clearly contributed to the opening uh, of the oligarchic political system established in the mid-19th uh, century, and also to the politicization of many sectors of rural and urban population although it is impossible to give accurate numbers in the actual state of research. Mm -hmm. Republicanism was a strong force by 1868, and it continued being a strong force during Restoration. Electoral successes in, in, during this exenium can prove it, but activism later, which is now being studied, uh, research, uh, is proving it as well. It continued being a strong force, above all, in the municipal and regional level. Mm -hmm. And this can finally explain, I think, the strength of republicanism during the 20th century. One thing, one point uh, I, I would like to make is that normally there is a vision of the restoration period in Spain as a moment of apathy, of immobilism, of retarded um, development of politics in Spain. But suddenly uh, there was a civil war <laughs> supported by Republicans against the Francoist uh, forces. Uh, well, how can we explain the strength of republicanism? Well, this, I think this, uh, this implantation that started during the 19th century can explain at least in part this, the lasting of this, this force. At the same time, many of the difficulties that Democrats and Republicans had to face as well as many of the previous visions, continued during the Second Republic. But here we have to also to take into account the context, the really polarized context in the, during that period. So the difficulties to uh, accept, for example, pluralism, which was completely general to all the political forces, continued, and also their problems to manage divisions and controversies within the republicanism, mm -hmm. the republicans. So in that sense, uh, these changes didn't have really a, a, a real impact. Uh, the accept, acceptance of uh, representative, uh, representativeness or 
pluralism, but there we have to take into account a lot, of, a lot more factors to explain right. that. I thought to conclude our conversation here, you might tell us how your work on the Democrats over the course of the mid-19th century in Spanish history uh, changes the way that we think about this idea of democracy. Well, I don't know if I have been able to change <laughs> anything. In fact, the most uh, important point I usually, I usually like to make is something already stated by uh, Robert Dahl, that democracy has meant different things at different times. And also that its multi-stranded history has always been full of unforeseen eventualities and setbacks, as well as of negotiations, or struggles between contending, contending definitions and conceptions. For me, that's the most important thing. I also used to remind that there's, there has always been controversy around democracy and that, that debates are essential to its history. Something that, at least in the Spanish political actual current uh, context, mm -hmm. it's interesting to remind. Anyway, I think that a lot more research is needed on the way the diverse conceptions evolved, on the contacts and interactions with foreign conceptions, foreign activists, and the tortuous paths that led to the debates that we are having now. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the program, Florencia. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Historias. For additional information about our guest and a list of suggested readings, please visit our website at historiaspodcast.org. Also be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play and to follow us on Facebook or Twitter so that you can be notified of new episodes.